All right, wisdom. We're going to talk about wisdom today, and we're beginning this series. We're going to spend the next six weeks in the book of James, and James uh, is, is a letter. It's, we call it a book in the New Testament, but it's, but it's actually a letter, and I had this beautiful idea of growing out a beard for the series <laughs> because beards just have the, the impression of wisdom, don't they, or laziness, one or the other. You fill in the blank, and this is all I got going, so... Um, I didn't get the beard done. Maybe no shave November. We'll see what happens. But, but James in the New Testament, this, this letter is thought of as a book of wisdom. And there's a number of reasons why that is, and we'll talk about some of those things. But we're going to spend six weeks just zeroing in on this book. Now, I've been studying James for a few months now um, and, and, and trying to dig in. It's a tough book in many places. And there's a lot of conviction. Like if you read it and open yourself to it, open your heart to it, a lot of conviction there, which I'm excited that I'm going to bring you along on the journey because I've been in conviction on my own. So you guys, you know, misery loves company. So come join me on this journey um, together. And I've been reading a lot about wisdom outside of the Bible as well. And for all you men who are married, I thought I'd give you a little bit of wisdom this morning that I found from outside of Scripture. You want some? Here it is. He who knows not and knows not that he knows not, he is a fool. For all you married men, this is important to know. He who knows not and knows not that he knows not, he is a fool. And you might ask yourself, what is it that I I don't know? And you can just fill in the blank with everything, (laughs) and you'll be in a much better place than you are today, right? He who knows not that he knows not, he is a fool. He who knows not and knows not that he knows not, he is a fool. I forget where I found this, but I thought that's a good bit of marriage advice for us. So um, years ago, I've been married for like 18 years. Years ago, I went to my father-in-law to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. Now, if you've ever done this, you know that you are overcome with fear. And you put on extra deodorant that morning because you're going to sweat. And my father-in-law is an intimidating individual. He owns a business. He's known as a very shrewd businessman, very wise businessman. And I remember going to his office, and I think he knew what I was coming for. But he wasn't going to let on that he knew what I was coming for. And I remember going to his office, and I sat down, and we exchanged some pleasantries about the weather and football or whatever we talked about. I don't remember anything except being scared to death in that moment. And I remember looking at him and asking him, Randy, I'd like to ask Robin to marry me. And he just kind of leaned back in his chair. (laughs) And he just looked at me. And I'd like to know if that's okay with you, you know, because silence is not good in these moments. So I just kind of kept going. And he said, Matt, you need to know one thing. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, however you treat my daughter, I will treat you. And then he leaned back and just stared at me. (laughs) Now, for those of you men who have daughters, this was brilliant, right? And he didn't say anything else. He just sat there the rest of our time together. And I tried to over and over say, I will love your daughter. I love her so much. I love her as much as you. No, I don't love her as much as you, but I want to love her as much as you. Maybe you can teach me in your wisdom. 
and he just stared at me and let me make a fool of myself. Now, wisdom. Wisdom isn't in just knowing something, is it? It wasn't enough for me to know that if I treated his daughter badly, that he would treat me badly. It had to affect something in my life. And this is biblical wisdom. This, this is exactly what biblical wisdom is. Uh, Eugene Peterson says it this way, um, wisdom is not primarily knowing the truth, although it certainly in, includes that, that's a part of it. It is skill in living. Wisdom is about skillful living. It's about application. It's about taking something that we might know here or feel here and putting it, allowing it to, to impact our daily lives every single day, every single choice. That is what wisdom is. Now, what I've found is that every religion, every worldview has wisdom as one of its highest virtues. Wisdom, you, if, you, if you read any religious book, if you plug into any really religious circle, even if you're outside of religion, wisdom is something that people hold in high regard. Wisdom is something that everyone wants. In the ancient world, wisdom was talked about from Plato to Aristotle. In, in, in the Hebrew world, which is the roots of Christianity, there were writings called wisdom literature, the Proverbs, little snippets of information that were meant to be how to live wise, how to apply God's truth into our everyday lives. James, in the New Testament, James was the brother of Jesus. Now, this is interesting in and of itself. Um, if you think about a sibling, if you have a sibling, you might think that that sibling does not want you to succeed at all in life, right? That that sibling is going to tell the very essence of truth of who you really are. James, for part of his life, wasn't quite sure what he believed about his brother Jesus. Uh, some other scriptures, some outside sources give us this, this view that James wasn't quite sure, but then something happened in the life of James, James that turned his mind back toward God and changed what he wrote in the New Testament. And this is the book that we're going to dig into. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to James. It's in the New Testament. It's near the very end of the Bible. If you have your, uh, your devices, you want to follow along there, you can follow along there, or you can follow along on the screens. We're going to put it up there as well. Are we ready to dig in? James, like, jumps right in. He gets right to the point, and this is what he says. Consider it a sheer gift, my friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Now, some of you are going to mark James off right away. Like, seriously? Consider it a sheer gift? Um, other translations translate this little phrase, sheer gift, as joy. Consider it sheer joy when challenges, when you're faced with challenges and trials. Now, we talked just a little bit about joy last week. Do you remember this? And that joy is not about circumstances of life. That joy isn't based on what's going on around us, but rather joy is the state of being. It's something internally. It's a foundation for us. And I think what James wants us to understand is that the foundation of our lives cannot be based on these things, but rather something much more solid. And he says, consider it a gift when tests and challenges come at you 
from all sides. These aren't circumstantial. Um, a few years ago, um, when hashtags became really popular, do you guys remember hashtag blessed? Anybody? Okay, all five of you. Okay, so there's this hashtag thing where in social media, if you put a hashtag with a word after it, you can like search for that hashtag and word and it pulls up, it like sources all this information about that word. And one of the things that Christians often do is when things are good, they put hashtag blessed. Like I won the lottery, hashtag blessed. I got a new car, hashtag blessed. And we begin to think that when things are good, we are hashtag blessed. You're following along. Good job. Um, hashtag blessed. God is good. Hashtag blessed. I got a new car. Whatever. Fill in the blank, right? Now, this isn't new thinking. In the ancient world, in the old world, people believed this to be true as well. When everything was right in their world, they believed God had some, in some way blessed them. So blessing, the blessing of God, was all based on the circumstances of life. If good things are happening to me, God has blessed me. Jesus enters the scene and challenges this very notion. In fact, Jesus, in his most famous teaching, begins to say things like, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Wait, what? You're blessed when you're at the end of the rope because there is where you find God. You're blessed when you're poor in spirit, when you feel as though you can't go on anymore. Why? Because then you will find the goodness of God. Jesus began his most famous teaching by challenging the status quo, the thought that we're only blessed when things are good. James plugs into this bit of wisdom Consider it a joy when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. And then he says this, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open, and then it will show its true colors. That when you face challenges and trials, and it's in those moments when James says your faith life is forced out into the open, and you'll find the truth about who you are down deep. Now, make no mistake. Every person who lives has a faith life. Everyone who lives has a life of faith. The question is, where is our faith placed or in whom do we place our faith? Now, think about this. All of us, regardless of our perspective of life, regardless of what we believe about Jesus and God and the world in which we live, all of us place our faith in something. In the ancient world, they placed their faith in all these varieties of gods that were out in the world. And so they would go to all these different temples and they would try to keep all these gods happy. In our world, we don't have a bunch of gods that we're trying to keep happy, but we believe oftentimes, we believe that our faith should be placed in government, in finances, in status, and in many times, see, I didn't mean to get this personal at the very beginning of the series, because I do want you to come back, <laughs> but ultimately, many of us actually place our faith in ourselves and our ability to manage what's going on around us. You see, every single one of us places our faith in something because we cannot control what is out here. So we have to put our faith in something. 
And what James is saying is something that all of us know, and it's this, that when you have challenges or trials, when you face difficult moments in life, your faith is made known to the world around you, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's at this moment when challenges come in that our faith becomes to be, it, it comes to be made known to ourselves and to the people around us. So he keeps going. Consider it a joy when you have tests and challenges. In those moments, your faith life, like what you really trust in, becomes made evident. It's forced out into the open. And then he says this. So, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work in you so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, this passage, this verse, I think is one of the most wise bits and most relevant bits in all of James for us today. This little piece, this little snippet. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now listen, our culture, let's be honest, our culture at every possible turn tries to protect us from challenges and trials, right? Don't, don't we want to avoid the challenges of life? I mean, come on, let's be honest. You're in church, so you have to be for a second, all right? Don't you want to avoid challenges in your life? Don't you want to avoid pain in your life? Yes. None of us want to walk headstrong into the biggest challenge we will ever face. And what James says is that when you do face challenges, don't do what is natural to you, turn and run from it, but rather allow that challenge to do something in you that will not happen otherwise. I've been, um, I've been trying to learn to run, which sounds like a silly thing because I'm 40 years old and I should know how to run, correct? But I don't mean just like run. I mean, I'm trying to learn to run, run. And I'm learning all these things about running that I didn't know. And one thing that I've learned is that runners, oftentimes, especially American runners, run way too hard, way too many days. Like we get up and we think, I'm gonna beat my time from yesterday, and we think this every single day, and we think this is good for us. That if I can get faster and faster and faster, then I will be in the best shape possible. But what we've learned from other runners, like runners from Ethiopia and Kenya, is that it's actually better to run at slower paces many more days of the week than faster paces because this builds something in us that can't be built when we're pushing ourselves to the limit all the time. So I've learned that I'm supposed to run slow, like 60% of the time, like at a conversational pace. So if any of you wants to run and talk, I'm your guy but it's really slow. It's like painfully slow. Like you're running and you're running so slow that you feel, I can't be doing anything good in my body right now because I'm running way too slow. But what I found is my faster runs have gotten faster the slower I run in my slower runs. It's counterintuitive. And I think what James is trying to push is this idea that most of us just want to run from trials and temptations and get out as quick as possible. And James is saying, slow down. 
Be patient. Allow the challenges to do something in you that can't be done without challenges. Be patient. Don't try to get out of it prematurely. Allow it to do a work in you. Um, Dallas Willard, who's this theologian, philosopher who died a couple years ago, um, he says this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day today. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. And then he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And most of us go, okay, what else? (laughs) Right? Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Even in moments when we just let it sit, we find ourselves wanting to get to what's next. Hurry is the great enemy. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do a work in you so that then you'll be fully mature, not deficient in anything. So where are we so far in this book of James? We're like two verses in, three verses in. And I just kind of jotted these notes down. We, we all face trials, right? If I asked you today how many of you um, are facing a, some sort of trial in your life, most of you would say, yeah, there's, a, there's some kind of trial. James would say that trials will reveal, if you allow them, They'll, they'll reveal what you really trust. They'll, they'll reveal what you're leaning into in life. And then the third thing is that trials can become, if we allow them, they can become a training ground for our souls. And our souls are the only things that go on forever. So then he gets to the wisdom bit. So if you need wisdom, here it is. You're going to face trials Trials will reveal who you really are. Don't jump. Don't run. Let it do a work in you. Let it be training ground for your soul. And then he says, but if you need wisdom, if you need to to know how to live your everyday life, ask our generous God. I love this. Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now, God is not like a slot machine. Sometimes when I think about wisdom, I think, just give me like the... um, uh, what you, fortune cookie version, God, if you would just give me a fortune cookie and you know, I go to P.F. Chang's and I open up the fortune cookie and I'm like, God, wisdom now. And I think that it's going to be there. He's not like a slot machine. God's not like somebody that we go to and we say, I need wisdom, so give it to me quickly. No, God says, ask him. Be patient and listen. And he'll give you all that you need. This is... This, this, this verse becomes foundational for the entire book and it becomes foundational for our spiritual lives. That we, we, we realize that we don't have all the answers. That we need help along the journey and so we look to God who's generous and he loves that we ask him these things. And then James goes on, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. So be sure that you're trusting what you say that you're trusting Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Have you ever been out on the open seas in in like a windstorm when the waves are rolling and you're being tossed to and fro and you lean over the side of the boat because there's something within you that has to come out? (laughs) 
When you ask God, don't be like a wave of the sea that's tossed all over. This will make you sick because you won't be able to find any stability when you don't trust one thing. Don't, don't allow your, your trust to be divided. James actually goes on to say that people like this, with, with divided loyalties, with divided trusts, should not expect anything from God. Does he say this because God doesn't want to give us wisdom? No, I think he says this because we aren't in a place where we can actually receive wisdom from God because we're looking in too many other places, right? So he says, make sure that you trust in who you say you trust in. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in him alone. Do not waver. Now, in my life, I don't know if this is true for you, there have been many times I've gone to God for wisdom and I feel like I get silence. Anybody else ever feel like that? And the question becomes, how do we know when we get wisdom that we're looking for? Is there anything that can help us with that? Because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? How do I know? How do I know that I know? I get the passage that says I shouldn't trust in other things and I'm trying, but how do I know when I ask? James, just a couple chapters later, and I'm going to end with this today, just a couple chapters later, gives us a filter for wisdom. And so I'm going to give you this wisdom filter. And I think it's extremely helpful to know when I ask God for wisdom and I, and I feel like I'm getting something, I think I'm getting something and I've been patient and I'm not putting my hope or trust in anything else, how do I know that it's God giving me this wisdom? How do I know it's not the Mexican that I ate last night, the food that I ate last night that's like coming up within me and I'm, am, I, am I like a wave tossed because I feel sick or did I eat food that's too spicy? What is it in me? How do I know? And this is what James says. Wisdom from above, so godly wisdom, is first of all pure. It's true, it's right. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and it's willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. Now, how is this a filter? Well, I, I made this list of everything that James gives us, and here's our filter. When, 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 you, when you're in this moment where you don't know what to do, and maybe you sense that you're getting a direction from God. Here are the questions. Is it pure? Is the direction I'm contemplating here that I feel like God's given me, is it true? Is it honest? And if it's not, it's not from God, right? Because wisdom from above is true. It's honest. It's pure. Does it bring about peace? Does it inspire peace? Or does it actually bring about some sort of friction with other people? Because God's wisdom always brings about peace. Is it gentle? Is it just about me? That's the tough one, huh? Is it just about me? Is this, this direction that, I, that, I'm, that I'm feeling, is it, is it all about what's good for me or what I think I want? Is it just about me? Or is there a wider view? Does it promote mercy and grace because God's wisdom always pushes forgiveness, mercy, grace? 
And does it move us, does it move me to do what's good in the world? See, James gets very practical. Sometimes it's kind of heady and you're like, yes, 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 but what do I do? Then James gets down to where the rubber meets the road and he gives us very practical things. Is it true? Is it pure? Is it honest? Is it self-serving? Is it only about me? Does it bring about a peace? Does it bring about hope? Does it bring about mercy and forgiveness? Does it move me to forgive somebody who's done wrong to me in the past? And is it about me doing what's good in this world? It's a good filter. Well, James has a lot of things for us, a lot of wisdom, a lot of where the rubber meets the road kind of truth. And for the next five weeks, we're going to dig in. But I got a challenge for you. You ready for some homework? This means no. This means yes. <laughs> no. Here's the challenge. There's five chapters of James. I want to challenge you to read it this week. And I think, um, there, I'm, I'm so glad we have technology and you can you know, have you version on your phone and read the Bible on your phone. I want to challenge you um, to pull out your paper Bible for this series. It's the old printing press thing, you know, there's actually paper. And um, I want to challenge you this week, and it can be one chapter a day, to just read through James. Monday through Friday, just in the morning, in the evening, before you go to bed. And I want to give you permission to actually underline or highlight in your Bible. It's okay. It's okay. Circle phrases that you see that are repeated again and again. There's a reason they're repeated. If something strikes you, if you're reading and, and you think, well, that's, that's interesting, circle it. There might be a reason God caused that to be interesting as you're reading it. But read God's Word because it's true and it's right and it moves us in good directions. Now, we're going to sing this, um, this last song together called Greater You, Lord. And as we do... If for you, there's wisdom that you're looking for. And maybe over the next five weeks, you would say, I want to seek wisdom in this area of my life. There are these crosses up on either side of the stage. And maybe you just want to come and you write down, I need wisdom in this relationship, in this decision, in my finances. Whatever it is, write it down and put it up to the cross. And that's your way of simply giving that to God. Or maybe for you, you've just felt distant from God, that God is nowhere near you, and the candles in the back of the room, um, light represents God's presence, so maybe today you just want to light a candle and ask God's presence to be close to you as you read his word. We just want to give you some space to respond, so let's stand together. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing, and as we sing, just feel the freedom to respond however God leads you to respond. Father God, you are a good God, and you have given us your word which guides us along the path of life. And um, there's so much in here that is difficult to understand. So I thank you for the moments we come to the bits that are understandable and applicable to our lives. Things like um, whenever you face challenges, don't try to get out of it easy, quickly but let it do a work in you. God, thank you for those, those truths. And as we sing, 
of your goodness, of your greatness. I pray that our response to you in these moments would be pleasing in your sight. And I pray that you would give us wisdom as we seek you alone.